It's time now for the complete story with Dick Bott, a public news and information feature of Bott Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now, here is Dick Bott with today's complete story. Well, 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 here we go. I tell you what, I was thinking now, what what complete story would be best for the weekend, the Saturday and the Sunday and the Monday uh, audience? And uh, Rich is gone. He's off to some conventions. Uh, one in one of Christian leaders in Philadelphia, and then their National Day of Prayer. He was going to take a train down to Washington, the National Day of Prayer, and then there was a National Religious Broadcaster Executive Committee meeting. So, while he's traveling all over the place, right here I sit in the studio, and I'm thinking, what, what would be just a really good, precious story, to share with our Bot Radio Network family. And, uh, and, and as it turns out, I think a book that was written just recently, Race in America, A Call to Heal. I want to tell you once again about that book because the authors of that book are here in the studio with me. Uh, this book is a, is, a, is a story of one of the men who wrote the book, um, Greg Thomas. And I met him a while back as Coach T. I suppose the T is for Thomas, but that's how all of the young people all over the Midwest area know him as Coach T because he has a heart for God and he has a heart for young people. And he's just a blessing to everybody that gets to know him and watch the smile on his face. And he happens to be, now I don't, I don't know exactly how to say this, folks, because I kind of feel bad using the word black or white because I am not white. I put a piece of white paper up next to my face and you see that in a hurry. And he's not black because you put a piece of black paper up to his face and you see, well, no, we are all various shades of brown. That's exactly what it is. Thank God for Ken Ham and his lecture on one race, one blood. But in the way he explains all that. But anyway, Greg Thomas is in the studio. And then the gentleman who co-wrote the book with him is David Smale. Now, that's an interesting name. S-M-A-I-L. Smale. It's like male, but you put an S on it. And that's the way I remember it. Let's start with you, David. How Tell us this history of your last name. It's English. Um it's actually S-M-A-L-E, and I like to tell people it's smile except an A. Um, but we are, um, in fact, my dad used to tell us that we were uh, direct descendants of King George IV of England. And then when Sounds get a all, little elitist. Well, when we'd get all puffed up, he would say, now remember, you're only half what I am. <laughs> and then we went to England this summer after my freshman year of college and found out through a book on British monarchy that King George IV was horrendous, said he did more harm to the British monarchy than any other, any other monarch in Britain's history. So, of course, my brother and I bought the book, and we took it out and showed it, showed it to our dad and said, Dad, there is some good news. And he said, what's that? And I said, well, we may be related to this guy. We're only half of what you are. So, But, yes, I'm English. <laughs> okay. Well, well that's uh, – you, you know, everybody, if you go back through your family history, which I think is always interesting to all go back – Go back. Where from? Where did I come? 
and you hear about the great-grandparents and the great-great-grandparents, and they were descendants of this, that, or the other. They came from this country or that country or the other country to America. And then you better be prepared to get the good, the bad, the ugly, because it's all there in everybody's story. We're all descendants of Noah. Well, I guess so. Yeah, we're descendants of, um, that's for sure, born and conceived in sin, without a doubt, with a great sense of self. That is the the boogeyman, isn't it? Self. How can we not be selfish, but use whatever self has to help somebody else? Well, anyway, that's getting me into sermon material. So let's <laughs> then go to uh, Greg Thomas, Coach T, because the two of you gentlemen have written this book. I love the cover. I love the cover because both hands, both hands are on the book forming a heart. And the two hands forming a heart, uh, one is a light hand and the other is a darker brown hand and uh, forming the heart. And it says, Race in America, a call to heal. So anyway, Greg, um, Greg, tell us, tell us a little bit about how you came to write the book and how you came to be you because you have a heart for people. You have a smile on your face and you love to help kids. Well, I've been... Uh opportunity to speak at a lot of places for a lot of years, yeah. encourage a lot of people. Are you a fun guy? I have a lot of fun. All right. Uh, Psalm, right. Psalm 9012 tells me to number my days that I may obtain wisdom. So I'm numbering my days, having a great time. But the book was written in response to uh, rioting in Ferguson and Baltimore. I saw how our country, uh, how the divide was. Uh, when things like that happen, I get called to speak at schools, churches, uh, uh, businesses, things like that. And then when the uh, Dallas police shooting happening happened, that was the final straw. And so I put everything down and uh, contacted people to uh, contacted David to help me with this book. And that that was the that was the reason in writing the book. Correct. But I'd like to know what led up to that in your life, because long before Ferguson, Missouri, you were living a life, and uh, and, and and coping with all of the things that you encountered. First of all, how did you come to know the Lord? Well, I was in middle school, uh, I want to say seventh grade, and I had a tremendous, uh, I went to Palestine Baptist Church in Kansas City and had Brenda Jenkins was my Sunday school teacher. And uh, through the meetings that we'd have, she made it clear to me that uh, it was important for me to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And uh, I was able to do that in middle school, and that catapulted me through high school. Did you see the movie God's Not Dead 2? It's the number two. It's the it's the sequel to God's Not Dead. First, the first movie, God's Not Dead Two. Did you see that movie? Not yet. Well, it sounds like the school teacher that you just described uh, was in that movie. And by the way, that's a true story. God's Not Dead Number Two, and everything. Brenda Jenkins was her name. It was a Sunday school. Well, thank God for Brenda Jenkins. She was a Sunday school teacher, but was she also a school teacher? I'm not sure. I just knew her at, at church on Sundays. On church on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, so she made an influence on your life. How old were you? Oh, I was seventh grade, so around 13 years old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 13. So you weren't eight or nine. <laughs> That's correct. You were already kind of wondering what's out there for me. What, what am I What am I supposed to be doing? Uh, all kinds of things. What kind of a home did you have? Well, I had mom and dad and a brother and sister. But years before the Palestine, there was a, a gentleman, I don't know his last name, he was a German guy. His first name was Hans. And we lived over on Paseo, 34th and Paseo area. And he would uh, drive a, uh, he, he was a part of a Presbyterian church. And he would drive a school bus around the neighborhood and pick up neighborhood kids to go to Sunday school. So uh, that's, that was how I got my foundation. Uh, going as a little third grader, fourth grader, fifth grader going to this uh, 
Presbyterian Church's Sunday school with this guy named Hans riding a school bus around yeah. the neighborhood. What, 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 tell me a little bit about the atmosphere of your home. Apparently you had a mom and a dad. Were they both uh, effective in, in, in the family living and family life? We, we, had a, we had a fantastic uh, uh, upbringing. My brother, who works for Bot Radio, is uh, three years younger than oh, me. Oh, that's right. You know what, <laughs> folks? I forgot that. Your brother is Myron uh, Myron. Thomas. Mm-hmm. And he's been, he's been, he see, he's the overnight operator in the master control room for the whole network. Myron Thomas, isn't that interesting? Yeah. Let me just pause for a minute because I have heard Rich say many times, Myron Thomas is steady. He is reliable. He is absolutely never, never fails to do the job just perfectly. I've heard Rich say that. Yep. That's your brother. Well, is that a characteristic of you, of the way? You, um, is that your genes, or is that the home in which you were raised? We're raised in a tremendous home, you know. As uh, I, I tell people, I said I grew up privileged. Uh, I had a mom and a dad there the whole time from day one, and I knew that my dad unconditionally uh, loved and supported us, and um, so that was that was very important. What do you say today that the kids who have no dad, or if they do have a dad, it isn't much of a role model? That's a tough deal, and as a coach for 35 years, I've dealt with that quite a bit. Yeah, I say we have, a, for the most part, a fatherless generation, and we need people to stand in the gap. And so I've done the best that I could for uh, uh, several thousand kids to try to be a man in the gap to help them and encourage them in their lives, to teach them to grow up to be uh, great husbands and great dads. Because it takes a mom and a dad, ideally, that's called a family unit, because the children then stand between the two. You have a male and you have a female. That's a husband and a wife. That's a man and a woman. You see, that's the way God made us, isn't it? Very true. Well, why are we breaking our neck to get away from that idea? Why are we struggling and doing everything we can to make children feel that that is not the ideal? Hey, I think I just coined a phrase there. (laughs) To make children feel that that is not the ideal, because it is. You're exactly correct there. And so uh, uh, and it, uh, our society is headed down a bad path. And so we're, there's a remnant. There's, there's people that are trying to do the right thing, and, and I want to applaud them and do what I can to help support them. As you are growing up in Kansas City, we'll choose that city, but it could be St. Louis, it could be Fort Wayne, Indiana, it could be down in Texas or... Uh, wherever Bot Radio Network is, is is heard right now, but when you were growing up in Kansas City, did you experience the problems of being a different color than what the predominant uh, population was? In a, my early years, I'm saying that nicely, but did right. you experience racism as a as a child, as a teenager, as an adult? Well, well, as a child, I don't remember experiencing that. We, why, we, why, why? Because well, it sure was, sure was present all, all around you. All around the country was, but I was, I was blessed to be in a little cocoon, a little area in Kansas City, right around 35th and Woodland area, where there were all types of people. So as a little kid, I grew up, my next-door neighbor had long blonde hair. I had uh, uh, Michael Madrigal and Stephen Salazar, my good friends. So we had all kinds of people. Well, what and what got, about the adults within that mix? They must have been pretty, pretty nice mix of people. Now, that I don't know. I don't know how the adults got along. But I know as kids, we got along extremely well. And I didn't run into a, a racial situation until I got to high school in the uh, mid-'70s. Tell me about that. 
Well, um, I went to East High School, graduated in the Bicentennial, 1976. Actually, in 68, when Martin Luther King was assassinated, I lived on 34th and Paseo. There's a fire station there now. And April 4th is when he was assassinated. On April 5th, I looked out my window and I saw tanks going down the street in front of my house. We talk about it in the book. And that was a very vivid memory for, uh, I'm 58 now, but I was a nine-year-old kid. Right in Kansas City. This is not in Louisiana or, or Birmingham, Alabama. This is in Kansas City. And you then remember as a teenager, how old were you? I was nine years old when I you saw those tanks. You remember seeing tanks in the street? Going down the street on Pacel. I mean, I remember Vietnam was going on and we're seeing tanks on TV in the jungles, but not in front of your house. So that, that image stayed with me. And then you fast forward to high school in 1974. I was a sophomore, East High School in our classroom, and we hear a, a, some rumblings outside our window, and there's a race riot outside our, on our campus. So all of our students ran to the window and looked out, and I recognized a lot of the people there because, you know, we got along with everybody. We had a diverse school. People, for the most part, seemed to get along pretty well, but there'd be some little fuse, you know, like nowadays you'd have a Rodney King or a, or a Trayvon Martin or something would happen, Michael Brown, and it caused people to choose their sides. And so that's what happened at my school. Yeah. So, so it was a, it was a weird. Well, tell me about sides. Uh, to me, the side should be on first of all equality of opportunity. But some people have been robbed of hope. Some people from the time of childhood have never known what it is to dream about becoming, about knowing, about learning, about aspiration, and that sort of thing. So. Uh, when you have, uh, let's say, a Rodney King or when you have a Michael Brown in Ferguson, I'm thinking, who was it who created that environment? Who was it who created the cocoon, the culture that surrounded the people that you've mentioned, that they didn't grow up, that they didn't grow up experiencing the feeling in your heart as well as the feeling that you felt from the other children that you were playing with? I mean, everybody starts somewhere, and it's in the meanness and the violence in a person's heart that causes the children then to pick up on that. And then you've got problems when you've got teenagers and when you've got young adults, and they have no hope and they have no opportunity. It's wonderful to say, hey, get out and get a job. But then you look around some of the areas and where people live. Tell me about the jobs that are available. I mean, I think about that a lot because I'm 83 years old. But if I weren't, if I didn't have an opportunity to earn money in little old Robbinsdale, Minnesota, you know, I wouldn't have learned how to work. I wouldn't have learned the, the, the blessing of reward for the effort that I put into something. That's something a kid learns early on, just like riding a bicycle or learning to roller skate or whatever it may be. How can you teach a child how to play football if you don't get him out there when he's pretty young and start him in? But anyway, I don't mean to. You've kind of got me off here, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're correct. And uh, one of the things we talk about in the book and one of the things I talk about in a lot of schools and places is for parents to teach their kids at early age to go to school with an attitude of gratitude, to respect the teacher, and come there being productive. Yeah. Okay, well, we're going to turn to, to uh, David in just a moment here, an attitude of gratitude, but I'll tell you this, it's not uncommon anymore to read stories. Listen to me, folks. It's not uncommon anymore to read stories about teachers that are hard to respect. One of the big national stories right now is a 50-some-year-old school teacher 
that ran off with a 14-year-old student. You probably, I don't know, it was, it was some Midwestern town. I think it was Tennessee, for heaven's sake. And then they ended up in, I think, the state of Washington or Oregon, wherever that was, uh, a month later. And, and the, these stories are not uncommon any longer. So you've got to have leaders that are respectable and leaders that are hired carefully to be the role models in front of the children in every possible way because they are the real deal. They're not just putting on a show for the sake of getting a job as a teacher. They are genuinely the role models that every parent would hope is the one leading a classroom where that child is spending all his time. But uh, what would you say to that? Well, definitely I agree with that. And um uh, it's, it's such an honor to be a teacher to, or a coach to work with students. And, you know, I've been fortunate to be able to do that for 35 years and seen a lot of great things. But there's been a there's a lot of trauma that comes to school kids really struggling because of what's happened at home. And so to have a heart to try to serve them to the best ability would be something. No, OK, David, go ahead. Uh, well, <clears throat> excuse me. I was going to say I, this is this book is Greg's story, uh, but having worked with him for almost a year now on this particular book and following up with the book, there's a part of his story that he didn't mention that impacted me, and that was his parents' story. They grew up in southern Arkansas mm-hmm. um, in, a, in a very racially divided community, but even in the black part of the community, they were looked down upon by their, by their peers because they were sharecroppers. And his dad dropped out of school because he couldn't keep up and still do the work. His mom graduated, but they moved to Kansas City and made sure their kids had opportunity. They didn't let their pa- they let their past affect them, but in a positive way, and they instilled in their kids, and I've, I don't know Greg's sister, but I know Myron a little bit, and they instilled in them, you know, learn from the past and build on it and go in with the attitude of, I can make this work. And so yeah. I've, I see stuff in Greg... Uh, and I've known Greg for almost 20 years now. I see stuff in Greg that were that was instilled in him by his parents, who said we had to go through this. We're going to make sure you don't. You know, I have a dear friend, um, Reverend Bill Owens. Uh, he grew up in Memphis. I think he's about 77 years old now. I've had him on the Complete Story several times. He's with the Church of God in Christ. But um, but Reverend Bill Owens, um, his story is similar to what you're telling me, uh, what you're telling me, uh, Greg, because his mother, I think they had Levin living in their little house, two-room house, because her sister passed away. And she said, those those young ones of my sister, my nieces and nephews, I'm going to take them and include them with my children because there's room enough in our heart and room enough in our home for everyone. And so they lived in two rooms with 11 of them. But Bill said it was his mother that planted deeply in his heart that he could be somebody, and it was his father that taught him how to work. Now, I always think, thank God for parents who will do that, and what an investment they're making in their own children. But when children do not have those role models, when children do not have such instruction, when children do not have that to help guide them, then it comes to the teacher. And too often the school system is devoid of teaching morality or teaching any of these qualities that go into humankind. And uh, too often the church is blind to the little one 
that doesn't come in a fancy car with their parents. And, and so our churches have to be mindful also of the job they have in the community. But anyway, let's talk about the book now, Race in America, A Call to Heal. Tell us just when people get that book. It's a great read, an easy read, but it's a real book. You've got some wonderful people that have done endorsements for you on this book. Tell us about this. Well, it's been, the book's been out for about seven weeks now, and it's all over. It's all over the world. Basically, books are in Australia, Germany, England, Canada, Hawaii, and all over the United States. I get emails from people who've read the book and want to share their hearts. So uh, it's it's really doing well, and it's it's only it's only growing in, with opportunities uh, as we go. Yeah. What would you say about the book, uh, David? Because you helped write the book. It's it's Greg's story. Uh, and yet you help write the book, but it's a piece of your own life and your your testimony, your love for the Lord that's in this book as well. Yeah, to me, it's a it's it's a story of of how we got to where we are as a society in America now. Uh, Greg tells a lot of stuff in there about things he went through uh, personally. He talk, we talk a little bit about stuff that our country has been through. But it's, I, I tell people this all the time, it's not a woe is me book. It's not, boy, I had to go through this. I had to suffer this. It's here's where we are. Let's learn from it and let's move forward. And, and in chapters five, six, and seven, we look at uh, sports, education, and religion as, as things that perpetuate racism, but also as ways that we can, they can be right, conduits well, to healing. I'm an old man alive. Let's go back. You said the, the 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 what are those things you said that perpetuate racism? Well, there's plenty of things that perpetuate racism. What we talk about are sports, education, and religion. All right, sports, education, and religion. How does religion perpetuate racism? The most segregated hour in America, and you, we've all heard this number or this this statistic. The most segregated hour in America is 11 o'clock to to 12 o'clock on Sunday morning, because. And part of that is we go to church with people who are like us, but we still perpetuate it. And Greg, Greg convinced me of this because in the white church you play white songs, and in the black church you play black songs. One of my most favorite times when I was in college, I'd go to the black church because they knew how to really, they knew how to live it up. They were celebrating. You know, we're as uh, yes, I'm white. As white people, we tend to sit there in our stuffed shirts well, and and and. Make things but too dignified because I've heard that many times over and over again. You're right. There's no doubt. You're right. You no doubt where the seed is, where the root is. However, people have cultural differences, mm -hmm. and there are cultural differences. How you conduct a service and how long a service is, and all of these things, we get we get accustomed to what we're used to. And so that's, I suppose, what makes the difference in one denomination as opposed to the next, so on and so forth. But I do know that that it is uh, too often at the root of it. I'm talking at the root of it. I don't know of very many cases, if any, that now kind of is that way. But uh, the root of it is that people didn't want to because of race, and that's the shame of it because we are— the Lord's children, and God's creation. And I love Ken Hamnow. I could have read the Bible myself, and I, and I have. I read the same chapters. I read the same verses. But Ken Ham made them live when he points out it is true scientifically as well as biblically. In the book of Genesis, we are one race and one blood. 
and yet because of these other divisions you know uh, you know you mentioned uh, greg uh, even in the community where um, black people live they would then find a reason to think they were better than somebody else because some were sharecroppers and some were not it is human nature to always want to think uh, we are better than somebody else and that's what draws me to uh, to what the lord said about that subject you could go to Mark, the Mark 12, 12 chapter, verses 30 through 31, where the Lord said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now, that was, that was the first commandment when he was asked, which is the most important. But he went on to say, the second is like unto it. In other words, the same value. Uh, that you love your neighbor as yourself. Who's my neighbor? There is no commandment, he said, this is under quotes, there is no commandment greater than these. Ooh. These, that's plural. And I'll tell you what, that is the human condition to try and get away from self. We are selfish, but we should have self-respect. And if we genuinely have self-respect, we will then respect our neighbor as ourselves. And there's all of those ways to mull it over in your mind and think about it. But I want you guys to tell me how can people can order this book. Well, uh, quickly, a lot of people email me at uh, CoachTTD at Yahoo.com. So all right, now that's Coach T, T as, as in, in Tom. Tom. And TD as in Touchdown. TD as in Touchdown. At Yahoo.com. The touchdown uh, comes, I suppose, because you're a sports guy. Right, that's right, a coach. Or it could be takedown for wrestling. I was an All-American wrestler, too. And you're, uh, that's right. You know, you were uh, very distinguished in sports and in, in All-American wrestler and in uh, football, all sorts of ways. And, but, and that's how you have been able to share that with young people all of these years. Exactly By the right. way, you're not an old man. Compared <laughs> to me, you're kind of a kid, you know. <laughs> you, you have grandchildren, don't oh, you? Oh, yeah, four grandkids. But the other way is a text. They text me at 816 816- Six nine nine four nine eight five. So people all over the country will either text me or email me, and then I ship a book out. My house looks like UPS sometimes shipping them out. What would you say about that? What would you say about that, David? Uh, email or text Coach T. He's got he's got plenty of books. When you were writing this book with him, was your heart engaged in it? Your own life experiences based on what you know the Bible says as well as what you know in your heart is right. Absolutely. And it's, you know, I I can't, when I was in college, I worked at Penny's and I worked in the stock room. So it was not like, you know, a glorified job. I'd go sit in the mall and eat my lunch and I'd get mad at people going into Macy's because we had the same stuff at a better price. I'm a very loyal person. When I started this project with Greg, I knew it would be a fun project and I knew it would be a worthwhile project. But it became who I was for that period of time. And I, I passionately believe in this message. And if I could summarize the message of this book into one sentence is, or one thought, it's if I look at Greg as less than me, if I look at anybody as less than me because of the color of his skin, that's wrong. That's a sin. That's deep in my heart. We are created in the image of God. We have way more similarity than we do differences. And we have to look at each other as created in the image of God. And if we do that, we can't help but put that person on a pedestal, not look All right, down at him. Let me turn that on its head for a moment. Does it ever occur to you that anyone of color 
Greg included, is looking at you, uh, thanking God that they don't look like you. <laughs> or, the, or, the, or that you are lesser than them. You see, folks, oh, yeah. you've yeah. got to turn that back and forth. Absolutely. You've got to turn that back and forth and recognize it for what it is. And it's not a black and white thing. It it's isn't. A, it's, a, it's a racial thing. It's anything. If, if I look at Greg as less than me because he's shorter than I am, he can't control that. If I look at him in, as in any other way than created in the image of God, I would look down on him. If I look at him as created in the image of God, I'm going to look up. I'm going to look up to him and say, he is created. How can I not treat with respect and honor someone who's created in the image of God? That's, that, that's the whole point of this book. That's the way we have to look at each other as brothers and sisters in Christ and also as all American citizens. I tell you, this is a conversation that we need to have in America, first of all. An American citizen is a member of the family, full and complete, but also as a Christian, my word, my brother and my sister for real. Time to get to know each other, folks. Time to get to know the relatives. Time to get to know the various members of the family. This is the way I look at it. And it's the way the Bible taught it right from the word go. We can go back through history and find out how it ever got tangled up, how it ever got in a terrible state that it is and has been. But we can certainly, having looked at history, say, here's a new page. Here's a line in the sand. And we are going forward as Christians. That's what Bot Radio Network family is made up of, for the most part, Christians those who love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Give us that book again now uh, and tell us where we can get it. You can get it. Email coachttd at yahoo.com or text 816-699-4985. All right, there you got it, folks. This is Dick Bott with this chapter of The Complete Story. And by the way, as a public service, and I'll see you later. 